Good evening and welcome. You're listening to Canberra's people-powered radio, 2XX FM 98.3. The program is Subject ACT and I'm Sophie Singh. It's wonderful to have your company tonight. On Subject ACT, we bring you stories from our local Canberra community and beyond, exploring current and community affairs from a curious and informed perspective. Affairs with a global dimension. Tonight on Subject ACT, we continue with the theme of climate activism as we take a closer look at the movement to force political action to arrest and mitigate climate change. Starting on Sunday, February 2nd, and coinciding with the resumption of Federal Parliament, Canberra will host five days of climate activism with the People's Climate Assembly, which all happens on the lawn at Parliament House. Tonight on Subject ACT, I'm in conversation with Peter Thompson, one of the organisers of the People's Climate Assembly, to find out more about the Assembly and what will be happening over the five days. Peter, welcome and thanks for speaking to Subject ACT. Thanks, Sophie. Great to be here. Peter, the People's Climate Assembly kicks off in Canberra on February the 2nd, the Sunday, yes. and goes through to Thursday the 6th. So tell us, what is the Assembly? Sophie, the Assembly uh, came about when a number of us got together realising that we had upwards of uh, 50 different major climate groups in Australia all wanting basically the same thing, slightly different things in terms of emissions and targets, but the bottom line was that we're all aiming towards getting the government to declare a climate emergency immediately and act upon the science immediately to mitigate the great damage that's been done. It looks like this week of actions has come together really quickly. So what's been the process of pulling together that coalition of groups and actually making something happen? It has been very quickly come together, but when you think it's been mounting probably for the last 15 years in a way with different groups forming, and suddenly I think even before these most recent catastrophic fires, there's been a movement to approach the heart of government in Australia, which is the federal parliament, and really take our case and, and be a presence there that's felt because we saw that other smaller actions in the capital cities, etc., and other places weren't having enough immediate effect, the effect that we really need to have now. Intersects really with that growing movement internationally as well. That's right. Everything is feeding in. And then, of course, while we were just thinking of the idea, the fires began, and they're the most devastating fires Australia's ever known. Probably about 15 million hectares burnt out, which is probably the largest fire that has ever been known in the number of years man's been around the planet, which uh, runs in many million years. You know, the doomsday clock has been brought forward another 20 seconds to midnight. It reflects that unprecedented existential crisis. That's right. It's not only, of course, fires. Soon after the fires happened, we had a catastrophic hail event in Canberra where many cars were destroyed, houses, roofs were destroyed, all sorts of things were affected. That's right. Many of our listeners would have been directly affected by that terrible hail. Absolutely. You don't have to go far these days to see the effects of climate change. Peter, give us a sense of your background. Is environmental activism something that you've pursued throughout your life or something that Um, you've been propelled into more recently? Oh, Sophie, look, I went through the usual channels with a degree at ANU and studied law and arts and then became a high school teacher, didn't practice law and went on, got a master's in counselling. And then after watching Al Gore's movie, An Inconvenient Truth, a group of us went from our friendship men's group and we looked at each other and nodded and thought, yeah, this guy's telling the truth. 
I realised we had to start immediately to work towards some sort of solution. Peter, you mentioned that the Assembly is really focused on demanding that the government declares a climate emergency. What are the other key demands of the Assembly? Well, we're phrasing that first demand, Sophie, also in the sense that the government must declare a climate and ecological emergency, which includes the whole environment and all the effects of land clearing, of water mismanagement and failure to stop animals moving toward extinction, a whole range of other concomitant environmental issues too that are all so closely connected with climate change. The second demand then is, once you acknowledge the reality that's happening, you then take action immediately according to what the science is asking. And that's agreed upon by 99.9% of major climate scientists around the world as we speak. And that's the second step that will flow from the declaration, Sophie. And the third step then would be to form a body that would advise government, a non-partisan, a non-political body, that would continue to advise parliament on the necessary actions that need to be taken if we are to survive this huge emergency. The significance of actually acknowledging that it is an emergency necessarily requires that you have to take the really fundamental and far-reaching changes to address that emergency. Absolutely, absolutely. And that first to get to base one is a massively important step. It's almost like an alcoholic suddenly seeing the nature of his or her addiction then the next concomitant step then is to go to AA and seek redress, seek ways to mitigate, to to move past this huge addiction. Our addiction is to coal and to petroleum money and other forms of money to do with fossil fuels that Australia has traditionally made large sums of money and that's been our addiction. We're addicted to that easy money. Do you think it's that weddedness to the fossil fuel industry that is driving the government's determination to downplay the extent to which climate change is causing the environmental devastation that we're seeing at the moment? Absolutely. We've seen it in all these cases. The tobacco industry found it incredibly hard to give up their lucrative trade in tobacco and for the massive health damage it was causing in the same way that Hardy's found it very hard to acknowledge, compensate victims of asbestos hanging on to their profits in the same way here we are hanging on to these large profits being made from fossil fuels, mainly coal. And we've had four or five stances over the years. The first one was the climate's not changing, nothing's happening, you're dreaming, you're being alarmist. The second stage was, yes, something's happening, but it's to do with sunspots, things on sun, solar flares, Earth's moving out of its axis, can't be anything we're doing. That was the second stage of denial. The third stage was, yes, Something's happening. Yes, our emissions are partly at least causing it, but we can't do anything about those emissions. And then the fourth stage was, yes, we can do something about those emissions, but Australia as a tiny country cannot make any effect whatsoever on the situation. They've been dragged screaming unwillingly all the way, like the tobacco industry was, like Hardy's were, that attachment to the money and the vested interests there, as you point out, Sophie, as you alluded to, they've had to be dragged screaming to the reality. 
And more recently, Peter, we've seen a further evolution in the language that is coming from the Morrison government in relation to climate change. On the one hand, we're supposedly meeting and beating our emissions reductions targets, but now we're moving into adaptation and resilience. So what's the significance of introducing those terms into the narrative and to me, there's a sort of an, an underlying thread that actually, well, it's too late now to mitigate or stop. We just have to adapt and be resilient. Well, it's a hopeless state. It's full of despair in its own sense of giving up chances of really doing anything. But it's also, Sophie, another clever attempt to look as though we might be able to do something around the edges, yep. but not really acknowledging the full extent of the problem. It's still another desperate attempt to hang on to coal money. This is what it has to be called out for. We're taken there by stages and increments, and this is yet another stage of denial where we mouth out, yes, 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 I see there's a problem, but they don't really see the full nature and scale of the problem, and they also don't have a faith in human resilience in a deeper level that we can have a positive vision for the future and completely transform and transition to a new, renewable, sustainable future. There's no belief or vision there in saying those things. And Peter, I wanted to ask you about that transition. One of the aspects of the Assembly is to call for a just transition to a renewable and sustainable future. When you say just, what do you mean by that? Well, Sophie, it's a good question and I think it's a very important part of the demands that we have to make, that nobody should be left out, nobody should suffer. At the moment, the third world is suffering more than us, believe it or not, with their floods, their mudslides, tornadoes, like they're suffering enormously through climate change. Our emissions are causing that partly. Emission has no nationality. Emission produced here has the same effect of emission produced anywhere around the world. So I think that in Australia, justice relates to People here who are poorer and have jobs that are involved in, say, the coal industry must be looked after. And I'm sure the unions, and the unions have said as much time and time again, they want a just transition for their workers, that people are helped into new, sustainable, non-polluting, non-emitting industries, whether it's tourism, whether it's eco-tourism, whether it's to do with implementation of solar and wind. There's thousands of new connected jobs that can be created. And to do that in a skillful way that nobody suffers unduly and we all bear the load uh, equally and justly, justice really means equitable. There's a sense of justice there in the way we transition. No one makes huge profits out of the transition either. Crisis is not something to profit out of. Yes. So everything should be managed beautifully, even-handedly, skillfully and ethically. Peter, the Assembly starts at the Aboriginal Tent Embassy and in addition to the groups that have come together for the Assembly, it has very strong connections with First Nation elders. Why is it so critical to have First Nations peoples at the centre of the struggle for climate justice? Well, Sophia, in many ways we owe a great debt in our People's Climate Assembly to our Indigenous brothers and sisters, our First Nations brothers and sisters, who in 1972, three came down from Redfern, planted a beach umbrella on the lawns of the old Parliament House, declared this would be an Aboriginal embassy. Uh, It would be a voice of Aboriginal people. And so they broke the ice on this. They were wonderful pioneers on this. And we fully respectfully bow down and acknowledge their tremendous breakthrough contribution here 
They had the courage to make a stand. As soon as you make a statement and say, no, enough is enough, we need to be heard. And that example and that great vision has certainly influenced what we're doing in the People's Climate Assembly. So even in that way, we acknowledge the tremendous debt to the Aboriginal Tent Embassy and what it has done. It's still there. Yes. It is First Nations peoples that hold the knowledge about how to care for this land. Absolutely. Uh, And even things like with bush management in terms of fire management. cultural burns and so on. Yes. Yes. They they had it down to a fine art. They were able to do that for so long. That's exactly right. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to me, Sophie Singh, on your people-powered radio, 2XXFM 98.3. Tonight on Subject ACT, I'm speaking with Peter Thompson about the People's Climate Assembly, which will bring together people from Canberra and far beyond to build a movement for climate action. Peter, can we turn to the Assembly action itself? So give us a sense of what's planned for the five days that the Assembly takes place over. Sophie, the Assembly has a kind of thematic run over the five days. Uh, the first day is a Sunday, the second will be an opening day. A large bit of it will be a ceremonial opening at the Aboriginal Tent Embassy and that will take place uh, starting at 11 to enable as many people as possible to get there. Moving through to a picnic sort of lunch for everybody, families, school, children, public servants around Canberra. Everybody can be there. And, of course, people from interstate, many are coming now, they're indicated. So that will be a lovely affair on the lawns of Parliament House. And then mass choirs coming from everywhere, Blue Mountains and many other places. Opening speeches will be given just before the choirs come forth. And then the afternoon there will end about 4.30. People will obviously stay there and continue to meet each other and yep. dialogue and all those things. And day two is a day for experts on climate to come forth, talk about the situation from their expert area. So we have doctors, vets, scientists, climate scientists. We also have religious people coming forth to talk about climate science and uh, spirituality and how they tie in together. That'll also be on the lawn in the same place. We aim to have a stage set up that's there for the five days with coverage, of course, for the heat. And many tents will be set up to offer different things, workshops. That day, we'll have the doctor's workshop will happen at 5pm. We'll be looking at mental health effects of climate change and dialogues and workshops will happen through the day. Most of the speeches will be around the period of 10am up till lunchtime, just so we can beat the heat. Sure. And so Tuesday, we have the speeches again around that time starting at 10 and that day parliamentarians will be coming out to address the assembly from all different parties greens independents even labor will be there to address any from the coalition none as yet sophie we have been talking about who not so much about if but who we could get and that discussion still going on will we still keep trying to do that yes it has to be a bipartisan movement towards a sustainable future it must be a bipartisan thing so round about midday mark we have a massive rally for climate action and that will go through to at least one thirty officially but then into the afternoon there'll be many other activities yep. we aim to make tuesday the heart the most populous and most high energy day with yep. the rally at the rally, we'll have speakers such as John Hewson, Greg Mullins, Dr. Anna Greta Hunter, 
and also school strike representative, religious representatives, etc. Wednesday will take the form of a nature day where we'll be looking at the oceans, the air and different aspects of nature, maybe organic farming, things like that. Yep. People will be workshopping on those things. The last day of our assembly will be future visioning, looking at what may be happening for the future, what we can do. It's really not a finished day, it's really a starting day yes. for the future. Here beginneth the new transition life, you know. And how to strengthen and build a genuine national movement. That's right, that's yes. right, because this is really the first time consciously that all these groups have been brought together, upward of 50, you might even say 60 really, for the smaller groups included. So it is something we hope will continue because united together there's real solidarity and strength but when you're just a single voice crying out in the wilderness, it's hard to be heard. But when you join together, you have real strength and uh, real purpose. We've got to get the job done here. It's survival. The uh, time for inaction is well and truly passed. Well absolutely. Truly. Given the seeming imperviousness of this government to act on what the community is crying out for, I think the yes. imperative of having a growing national movement, now's the time. Now is the time. It should have been years ago, we could say. But in a way, I mean, uh, in some shocking sense, this is the crisis we had yeah. to have to get the government moving, even to the degree it has, Sophie. It is now acknowledging, yes, yes. climate change is connected to bushfires. This is like a yeah. massive breakthrough that's happened. And that's because of the pressure that's been placed on the government that's coming from below to, absolutely, to, absolutely. to tell the truth. And, they, and even international pressure, yes. Sophie. Other nations are yes. making so many comments now about Australia's shocking disasters. Yep. You know, everyone around the world has been focused on Australia and making very strong comments about how we are one of the most high-polluting emitters in the world of carbon and now we are suffering That's so right. much because of our own emissions. And saying we want to see what impacts climate change is having right now and will continue to have, we just need to look at the bushfire emergency in Australia. That's right. Yep. I mean, this is, in a way, this is the crisis the world had That's to have. exactly right. In some ways, the world is moving now faster because of the Australian fires yep. than we are, which yeah. is an extraordinary thing to say because our government has been so stuck in the mud and so wooden about this and so addicted to their coal profits. They haven't been able to even look properly. Yeah. Kevin Rudd was right in 2007 when he said this is the greatest moral challenge of our time. Unfortunately, Absolutely. he didn't follow through much on that, but Absolutely. his, his words be were the truth. Because of the inbuilt resistance in our capitalist, acquisitive, greedy system, it's been hard for governments all around the world to follow through. Even though they know they must, the well, resistance right. has been huge yes. to change. Yeah. Peter, it sounds like the five days are really packed and that there are many people travelling from interstate and I would think a lot of local Canberrans will yes. will be part of the assembly as well. It sounds like there'll be a lot of work certainly in setting up and helping out over the five days. If people want to know more or want to help out, where can they go? Well, there are contact points clearly displayed on both our webpage, Sophie, which is www.peoplesclimateassembly.org and also, and very importantly, our Facebook event and main pages which are just the People's Climate Assembly, Federal Parliament, Canberra. If yep. people Google that in or put it in the search bar for Facebook, they'll find it. Yep. And on there, there's many avenues of connection, particularly through Facebook Messenger, and organisers' phone numbers are there as well. 
but we hope that people can make contact very quickly. There is a billeting and transport spreadsheet up there available for people to fill out okay. if they're needing accommodation yep. or even a transport connecting ability there. We know this is a very short lead in time, but we feel confident that we'll be able to work it out. We feel sure the Canberrans will fully support our event, our actions there in terms of the overall movement toward a, uh, a just and sustainable future. We feel Canberrans already are ahead of anywhere in Australia and they will offer great support, whether it's billeting, whether it's understanding why the people are there. In every kind of way, Canberrans will be very generous and they have always been like that in my experience. And you're certainly right, Peter, there is a, a swelling desire among local Canberrans for there to be real action on climate change and uh, we look forward to being part of the Assembly. Shane Rattenby will be there at least on one occasion and we're hoping to have him welcome everybody to Canberra right. on the Sunday and hopefully uh, he can be there for that, but he's definitely speaking on another occasion. Great. Peter, look, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today on Subject ACT. Well done on pulling the Assembly together and good luck for the five days. It sounds like a really creative initiative in terms of taking this movement to the next step. Thanks, Sophie. It's been a great pleasure and an honour to speak to you today openly about what is really the most important thing at the moment yes. for everybody. We must get this done and we must get a just and renewable sustainable transition. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thanks, Sophie. And that was Peter Thompson talking about the People's Climate Assembly, which takes off from the Aboriginal Tent Embassy at 11am on Sunday, February the 2nd. In coming weeks, Subject ACT will continue to explore a range of aspects related to climate activism and climate change. And that brings us to the end of tonight's program. I hope you've enjoyed it. Tune in to Subject ACT next Tuesday night at 6.30pm and every Tuesday or stream us live or on demand at the 2XX website. Just go to 2XXFM.org.au. Stay listening to People Powered Radio, 2XXFM 98.3 for more great programming. With the Serbian program up next, followed by the Spanish program at 730 Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week. <laughs>